Is everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Thanks for making us a part of your day. We greatly appreciate it. We're going to talk to David Locke coming up here momentarily. Uh, Austin did, or actually Locke did look up an obscure stat for us today, Gordon, as we've we've kind of trying to give him uh, an assignment to, to come on the show and talk about. And we'll ask him about it, but today's is, who makes the most passes out of the paint for three-point shots? Hmm. All right. Because, of course, breaking the paint to get open shots is a big deal in, uh, in today's uh, NBA, if you hadn't noticed. Yeah, right. And, uh, you know, if you're going to pass, if, if the ball goes into the paint, there are some players where it never comes back out, right? The Al Jefferson effect? <laughs> Just one example of many. Yeah, Kevin McHale comes to mind. Who else was there? I mean, Shaq was... A black hole, right? Yeah, yeah. Was was the dream? Would you would you consider Hakeem a black hole? Well, he was so mesmerizing. All the things he was doing in there, I lost track because uh, they're like. I mean, I guess it was traveling. You know, the dream I shake. Mean, uh, I, when he said that it wasn't, and that the Utah Jazz fans thought it was traveling because they were used to a. A simpler game, a simpler brand of basketball, not his sophisticated ways uh, down low. I, I thought, no, that's pretty much traveling. You remember our friend Robert Lund's song back in the day? His walk, oh, yeah. walk like a Nigerian. Yeah, guess whose idea that was? Not yours. It was. Yeah. Uh, oh come I, on, let's get Robert on the horn. That can't be true. No, it is true. I, I passed that along to him. Did you get a so writing I, credit? I didn't write it. I just said, I, well, this is what I said. When when he was dancing in the lane, I said uh, one day we threw out to our listeners, what song is in his head that he's dancing to? And we came up with... Walk like an Egyptian, and we changed it to walk like a Nigerian. Hmm. So much like that Steve Carell movie, uh, Robert Lund is now ripping you off. <laughs> uh, no, he didn't rip me off. It was a, it was a team project. And the guy that made the the Donovan Mitchell T-shirts, right? Oh yeah, that's right. I'll tell you what, Gordon, you need to get yourself a, an attorney. I know one. Yeah, I know one too. Let's make some money. Let's make some. No, because look, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a group project. It's everybody working together. Who, <laughs> no, you know, it's amazing how much can get done when nobody cares who gets the credit for it. I'll, I'll tell you that, that fox catcher wants. made a lot of dough. Let's let's go over that. I'm let's, telling you right now that I mean, truth be wherever it is, that was my story. I mean, what are we you. doing? We got to get an attorney. Let's make this happen. Let's get the uh, let's get the lawsuit cranking. Let's make some money, Gordo. I'll find the the original story I wrote, and I'll let you. Did you see the movie? I did. Okay, I'll, I'll get you. I'll get you a copy of whatever. And you tell me 
whether you thought that was uh, remarkably uh, parallel. Let's get out to the Sprint special guest line, lease any phone, and get an iPad or a Samsung Tab A for ninety nine ninety nine. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. He is the radio voice of the Utah Jazz and our good friend, the one and only David Locke. Locke, what is happening? How are you? Everything good? Everyone healthy? Everyone is healthy. Uh, I think everyone is good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've gotten up. Uh, we've, uh, we've all gone to doing a little only getting outside and trying to, you know, social distance outside, but at least feel the air, and that's been helpful, I think. So, David, let me ask you this. We were just talking about uh, the old, good old days when uh, Akeem Olajuwon was doing his fancy footwork down low. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that in fact, because he said when the Jazz fans were complaining that he was traveling in those memorable series back in the day, he said that Jazz fans were used to a more a simpler brand of basketball with Stockton Malone and that his game was more sophisticated. So my question to you is... I don't remember it, that. Did he really it, say that? That's, that's kind of a dagger quote. I don't remember yeah. Keen saying that. Yeah, he did say that. And uh, so my question is, was it traveling? Uh, I don't think so. At least they didn't call it, so it certainly wasn't. <laughs> well, the the whole reason that that came out uh, came up actually, David. We were talking about the assignment that you dug into this week. People passing from oh, the paint di- to disaster. threes, and uh, <laughs> it's it, been like, can I just share with you? Yeah, I needed it. Like I totally did it therapeutically for myself because I needed a task. I didn't really realize it was going to be 2 o'clock in the morning every night. <laughs> I didn't quite realize that I was going to be back. I'm like, I might feel totally normal, though. I'm back like 2 o'clock to 7. I'm back on my five-hour sleep. I'm a little groggy. I've got to have an extra caffeine and during the day. like, I kind of feel like it's back to like normal. Like This is like this whole eight, nine-hour sleep stuff. That was totally not acceptable. Um, but, yeah, no, I... Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah, it's become like, and it was great and super fun. Like I talked to a lot of people, and that ninety one, ninety two season to me has kind of got a special place in my heart, just because it was the last year I was a fan. Um, but I did not quite realize that it was going to be, and you know, and actually, if anybody wants to go listen to it, that'd be great, because frankly, it's not being really, not very many people are listening to it. So if anyone wants to listen to it, that'd be really make me feel good. It's it's two o'clock in the morning with very low numbers right now. Well, let's let's dig into it a little bit, David. What'd you find out? Who who's best at passing out of the paint? Um, oh, that. Oh, I thought you were talking about something else. But anyway, uh, best. So the the numbers I worked on for you were because we joked last week of like who could be the best thing. So um, the, I thought this was interesting. I was surprised. The players who've passed out of the paint to the most three point shots in the league. Um, Demar Derozan has assisted 87 three-point shots this year, which is the most out of the paint of any player in the league. Hmm. He's thrown the most passes out of the paint as well that led to to three uh, out of the paint to two, three outside the three-point lane. He's thrown the most passes that led to a three-point shot by a large margin. I was stunned. So he's thrown almost 50 more, 52 more passes than the next guy that led to a three-point shot in the league. So it's interesting because I've always been one who kind of criticizes DeMar DeRozan's mid-range play, but if he's single-handedly creating, you know, 50 more threes than, than Russell Westbrook has and 16 more actual made baskets, then maybe there's some value there that we, that, you know, we should think about. 
Do you have, David, uh, a list of the actual big men who were most proficient in that regard? Well, we don't have big men anymore. Um, <laughs> so it's interesting. The old idea that you post up like Carl Malone in the post and he throws out to a three-point shooter because nobody posts up doesn't really exist. Of the guys who've thrown you know, a hundred or more passes. So that would be about the top 60 of them. I think there's only two big guys in the entire list. Um, one of them is Andre Drummond, I believe. And the other is Demata Sabonis, but I might actually, even Andre Drummond might not have a hundred of them. So, um, there are really no big guys anymore. You do, you cannot, you don't create threes anymore off the old school down to Carl Malone, kick out to the three point shooter. Sabonis is unique. Sabonis is the big guy that creates. Oh, and, and Jokic. Sorry, I forgot about Jokic. Jokic is near the top of the list. I just didn't think about him as a big guy. Um, Jokic is in the top 10 in the league of creating three point shots for his on passes from the paint to his teammates. So, David, if what you just said is true, how does that affect rebounding in the league? Hmm. What's your thought? I don't have one. I don't have an initial reaction to that question. That's why you got the hum. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I wasn't asking it rhetorically. I really don't know because if you're gonna if you're going to shrink the game down the size of the players a little bit and and stress other abilities, I wonder if rebounding will will suffer in that regard. Of course, if you're taking more three point shots, I imagine you'll you'll have more rebounds that are longer rebounds. But uh, yeah, I I don't Mm -hmm. know. What that spells out for the future as far as the importance of rebounding. I don't know. I've been watching a lot of the Jazz and 92 playoff run and some of those regulation games that are up on YouTube. And the crashing of the offensive boards in that era, in contrast to today, is just incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were sending three guys to the board hard every time, partially because the partially because the, everybody was inside. 10, 15 feet when the shot was taken, right? Because they, were, they weren't taking – I mean, the Jazz were taking like four or five threes a game. That was almost 30 years ago. And so I think the three-point – amount of three-point shots is having a bigger impact on rebounding. That Because the floor is spaced, and in more cases than not, your four is outside the three-point line, there just aren't players there to do offensive rebounding. The, the, the most ja- interesting – Go ahead. I'm sorry, David. Aren't Jazz players coached not to crash the board? Um, it depends who you are in the circumstance, but generally transition defense is thought of as a more important thing than an offensive rebound would probably be the right way to say that. Yeah. Hmm. Here's an interesting one to me when we looked up this idea of guys who pass the ball from the paint to three-point shooters. Is they're all, they're, none of them are per se big guys, right? But they're all big. So DeRozan, Westbrook, LeBron, Simmons, Azdakumbo, Doncic, Butler, Booker, Jokic, Fred Van Vliet, and Ish Smith are the only guards that are kind of in that. Um, that are, you say they're in the kind of top twelve group. Then you get into Damian and Chris Paul and Drew Holiday and some of those guys. Um, but it's you know the, that Giannis, LeBron, big Luca, Jimmy Butler, big guy drive strong enough to see strong enough to hold their area and sh- uh, see over the top is pretty impressive. 
David Locke is with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Switching gears just a moment, David. We do have some uh, some somewhat breaking news here from Adrian Wojnarowski, who says Denver's Arturis uh, Karnasovas has uh, completed a second lengthy interview with the Bulls late this afternoon, which included both owner Jerry Reinsdorf and COO Michael Reinsdorf. He is the clear frontrunner for the franchise's process to hire a new top basketball executive. Of course, Justin Zanuck interviewed for that job earlier this week. Your thoughts on... I guess how this is playing out with the Bulls and Justin's uh, candidacy. Well, if I don't know much, uh, I know people who know um, the Denver GM. You were just talking about. Um, I don't. I think I've met him once or twice, maybe three times. But you know, I wouldn't say I know him. Um, but I would say that if he out inter, you know, if he interviewed and Justin Zanuck would be one of the best interviewers or interviewees I've ever could think of in a job circumstance like if i was going for a job and i could get somebody to masquerade as me and interview for me i think i would take justin zanuck um so this guy's got to be really impressive because justin's got a great resume and he is completely prepared to do that job and i can only imagine he interviewed brilliantly um because of that's you know, because that's who he is. Um, and so if this guy is the clear front runner, uh, he's got to be really remarkable because Justin is. David, I've asked you uh, versions of this question in different contexts, but let me go ahead and fire away now. Of all the studies of statistics that you've done through the years, what, what's one or two that just kind of blew your mind a little bit, that you, that you saw something that you did not expect to see? Well, I mean, I have an offensive metric that's probably somewhat flawed, but I really still kind of love it, called points gained. Um, and it was bad, and I built it a long, long time ago, but I really built it the year that the Atlanta Hawks were winning 60 games and Kyle Korver was shooting like 45% from three. And my eyeballs could just tell me that Kyle Korver was having a much larger impact on the game than, than we would think for someone averaging kind of 13 points and hitting three or four threes. And, and, and it was, there was something going on there. And, uh, Actually, Ron Boone was a great help with me on the plane on it one day, and we, we kind of were fiddling with it, and I was trying to figure out what it meant. And finally, I just got it down to this concept that if, if you know, Kyle Korver's using seven offensive possessions, and those seven offensive possessions, he's scoring 15 points, and the average player in the league would only score nine, then he's suddenly making you six points better. That's an exaggeration. Nobody's ever been that dominant in a season. But that's how I started to look at offensive players. Now, there's certain players where if you have a team that doesn't have a primary option, you need somebody to be able to go you know, put up 22 shots a night, and there's some value to that. And you might accept somebody um, who's taking 22 shots to be a little less efficient than you would other players. But what I really learned from this is that, you know, if you can be above average, that is um, incredibly important. If you can build a roster of offensive players that are all above average, you have a championship-caliber offense. That's actually exactly what the Jazz have done this year. When Mike Conley gets back in line, he's right there. Donovan's not quite average yet, but he's getting closer every every kind of step he takes in his development. Um, so that project, which led to points gained, um, and then it's been a really interesting way to go back and look at offensive seasons. So then the year after Kyle Korver's year, I think is the year Steph went bananas. And 
you know, it's just been hard, I think, to understand the value of the three and what it what it means. And so I think that really helped me out uh, doing that. And since it has, you know, if I were to share with you now, um, sorry, long answer, probably with limited time, um, but I don't get to talk about basketball very much anymore. So now you opened up Pandora's box and I'm never going to shut up. Um, is What's really interesting this year is there's almost – the the rankings come out that there's certain types of players that are ranked unusually high. So Duncan Robinson comes out on my rating system as the seventh most impactful offensive player in the league. Huh? Well, you know what? He's taking 78% of his shots as threes. He's making 45 of them. So even though he's only using 10 scoring opportunities a night, he's scoring 2.2 points more than a bunch of average players would with those 10 possessions. It's a really high rate. Um, the other one that jumps out is that Rudy Gobert, Mitchell Robinson, and Rashawn Holmes, of all crazy players, and Hassan Whiteside come out very impactful offensively. Well, they can all dunk. And in a day and age where they're taking away the rim from players, there's fewer and fewer bigs who can actually get on top of a defense and dunk. And they are becoming more and more important. So the Duncan Robinsons, the uh, Davis Bertans of the world uh, are – the Rudy, which is one side, which is the the high volume three point shooters. Um, Boyan Bogdanovich is pretty close to fitting into that, though he's at thirty eight percent of his threes, not seventy eight percent. But he, he definitely you know peaks out on that. Um, Danilo Gallinari is probably more valuable than people realize because of this, and, and that Oklahoma City's winning. And the flip side is the guys who can dunk, the Rudys, the Mitchell Robinsons. These guys who can get on top of the rim are actually way more valuable than people realize. Quick question for me, David. I I remember one of the legacies after the 1999 NBA lockout was Sean Kemp coming back uh, at about, what would you say, 350 pounds? Uh, Maybe exaggerating (laughs) a little bit there. How many Sean Kemps are we going to see after this is all said and done and we get back to playing basketball? I don't know on that because I think this era of athletes is really, really diligent. Um, on the and they haven't you know on the other end um, they don't have access to all of their things that they need to so that would lead you to believe that they could have more problems and then on the flip side is they also don't have anything else to do so um, you know I mean the Sean Kemp was evidently either a booze or a food problem right um, as time would go on that would you know depending on the time um, and so. I don't think our guys have that. And I think, you know, a lot of them have chefs and they take cooking really seriously and they're just much more educated and the teams are doing a really good job of sending out information and giving them recipes and doing all those things. So I'd be surprised what, what I am interested in, you know, is if you're the, if you, you know, they're all, I think they're actually really professional. So I don't think this is going to happen, but you know, if you play for the Atlanta Hawks or the New York Knicks or the Minnesota Timberwolves, like you're not really coming back to much. So I think it's hard to probably get in your extra set that day. Right. Whereas I think some of the other guys, you know, that if they, if we come back, they've got a playoff run, they're probably being a little bit more diligent. David, the defensive question for you, it's uh, it's this back in the day, when uh, when Jerry was coaching the team and, and Carl was playing and others, it seems like the Jazz led the league or were near the top of the league in fouls committed uh, each year. And Quinn seems to have a different defensive philosophy. He wants guys to play hard, uh, tough defense, but but not to foul. Uh, which of those two approaches uh, do you prefer? Statistically, one of the keys to to not fouling, uh, let me rephrase that. 
statistically, analysis has been done that one of the keys to winning on the road is not fouling. And if you go back through the era of the Jazz, uh, under Jerry, the big question until they got Jeff Hornacek is could they win on the road? Like, I'm reviewing the 91-92 season, and this is the ongoing discussion the whole year of whether or not this team can win on the road. They end up 37-4, and I think, in the debut year of the Delta Center at home. And then the feeling on that is actually that high-foul teams get the benefit of the doubt at home, and so they are actually better home teams. So it kind of goes back and forth. And if you look at the Quinn Snyder era, that actually would probably be true. We've been a little bit better on the road than past Jazz teams, and at times not as good at home as some past Jazz teams. So um, the foul, there is supposed, statistically has been found, that there is a correlation between your foul rate and your ability to win on the road. David Locke with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. David, we always appreciate it. Thank you, as always, for jumping on with us. When do I get to, like, do an hour? Uh, whenever you want, man. We've, we've got four hours to fill these days. Well, let's do it. Well, I know. I've noticed that you guys have all extended out a little bit. And um, Last time, let me check my NBA schedule. Oh, I'm free. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do a little on-air programming here. I'm looking over the glass at Austin. Let's plan on this next week. You want to do it next Wednesday? You want to jump on with us sure. for an hour? Yeah, I'm not coming. I'm not coming in. Well, yeah, but, yeah. you know, well, we'll I'm, just, I'm I'm not allowed to come in. I'm ban- I'm banished to my county. <laughs> I'm not allowed to come see you. Uh, no, Actually, can I? Do- yeah, yeah, that's oh, why no, we I don't want you do coming in. That's why. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, but I, you know, I could hook in on a some sort of level or something. I've probably got some old equipment around here. I might be able to do something. That sounds all right. Well, let's let's look into that and let's plan on next Wednesday the whole five o'clock hour. We're hanging out with Dave Locke. All right, sounds good. I look forward to it. All right, and, and David, David, if you do that, I want to hear, and not, I'm not saying you don't do it anymore, but I want to hear that old David Locke attitude that used to come in and just blow people away with all kinds of interesting, sometimes contrarian stuff. I can't wait for that. So um, you guys opened the show talking about lawyers, Right. Right. So I would try to avoid, I'm trying to avoid having lawyers in my life. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's good. That's probably good. So, so we'll, we'll, we'll have an edge, but not too much of an edge. Not 90s right, so, David Locke edge. Yeah. So that era of David Locke probably went away. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if we can bring him back a little bit. Huh? Uh, I don't, you know what the real reason it's gone away at this point? I don't know enough. Like, I'm always amazed now listening to you guys. How do you know everything? I like, I can talk about the NBA. I, I don't like it. Bonafide idiot if I talk about anything else. We've got to be careful about what you ask me. I'm just going to start asking you questions. I'll tell you, I'll tell you something right now. I'll give you an example. And, David, I can't remember what I did yesterday, but I remember this from way back in the day when you brought up a topic that said, even in, when, when, in the years when BYU fans used to look at BYU's uh, schedule and see that they had some wins against uh, premier programs around the country, that typically when they had victories, those were the years when those premier programs were down. And, and you had it statistically uh, researched, and I heard that, and I thought, here we go, and I think the phones blew up when you came up with that stuff. You mean Barometer it's, University? You remember you, that? I do remember that. Barometer you, University. That's what I used to call BYU. And you, I was and right, you could, too, by the way. You could back it up. You could back it up with what, what you had researched. So uh, that's what I'm talking about, David. That right there. 
Let's hear more of that. You're not going to. So Barometer University, and then you now bring this up, and then, like, so, I mean, my approval rating is probably, like, 32% to start. Now it's, like, 21%. Like, this is not good for me. Never mind. We're not doing an hour next week. You already committed to it, David. It's on the books. An hour next week. I quit. I'm out. I committed for four minutes. So, So, David, one other quick quick question for you. Whatever happened to the sports, babe? I think Nancy passed, but I don't. Did she? Yeah, I think she was having some really big health problems. But maybe, no, maybe I'm not. Sorry, I, you know what? No, um, Nancy Donaldson, right? Um, yeah. you know, I got to know her a little bit. Um, I mean, I'm sure she, if she's alive, she's got a podcast because everyone has that, right? Um, but I don't. I don't, no, she well. Um, I don't know. I, that when you said that, that sounded like uh, it rang true, but I'm not. You know, I'm looking. Um, so it's interesting. Nancy Donnellan is her name, and it almost feels as though she's kind of just retired and gone away to get away. You know, she was at KJR in Seattle. Like, so, yeah. like, when I went to Seattle, she, like, that's how I got to know her a little bit is because when I was in Seattle, she was kind of um, legendary around that. No, I mean, it, that's interesting. I just Google searched her, and there's not a lot that comes up. So it feels as though she may have just kind of stepped out of the limelight and disappeared a little bit, but it doesn't have anything, like, on her Wikipedia or anything that says that she passed. I know she was having some health problems at one point in time um, and had to deal with those. And, and then she came back to broadcasting in like 06, 07. Um, uh, all right, I just found something. So she had a stroke in 2012. So that's oh, my memory. Oh. Um, but she seems to be alive because in 2018, um, she was inducted into the National Radio Hall of Fame. That's the last note on any of her Wikipedia. Now, I don't want to be Joe Buck and get Wikipedia here, but um, it does seem as though that seems all right, I guess. I don't know. I, do, I just remember the poor boy on the pay phone and the rich guy on the on the, the cell phone. Oh, she was... Stuff. She was way ahead of her time. She was super creative and and really pretty astronomical to be a woman in the sports uh, talk field and to be as successful as she was in 1994, right? Like, I mean, that's a pretty incredible concept to, I mean, I think she might have been the first nationally syndicated ESPN radio show. Hmm. That's pretty incredible if that's true. You know, Jake, on a program on a programming end, the other one, the one I've always wanted to do is a history of sports radio. But yeah. maybe we should like take a week and just do it live. We'll do it live. <laughs> and we got time. We do have time. Like um I mean how would we do it? We'd have to go back and like so Clouky, I mean, Blackwell and Tunis were the legends that kind of created all past. We'd have to have someone tell us about that era. Booner was, and Clouky would have some of that. And then we get into the sports radio era, and 
I actually ran into Chris Devine, who owned 106.5 The Score's son recently. So we could probably track down Chris Devine, and he could tell stories about Barry King. I was going to say, where's Barry <laughs> King? we got to get track down Barry. Um, I don't know. If, I'm not sure on his situation either, actually. We're getting old. And then we could build, and then someone, and then I could take over for a little while, but then I've got to step away, and then... And then there's the Jeff Reinert and the John Lund and the Ian Furness era. And then there's the Jake Scott. Oh, Kevin Graham would have to be a large part of this. That's the Jake's Kevin. And then there's Kevin Graham living in Jake Scott's basement. That did happen. Come on. There is like great. <laughs> the question is, would we all tell the truth for a few days? No, no, <laughs> no, absolutely not. I can't speak would you, for you. Would you bring the problem with telling the truth? Would be that culture has changed since we start stopped started sports radio. So, like some of the things we all might have done, or at least me, um, would be things I would be really embarrassed about now that seemed reasonable then. Now that you mentioned yeah. it, there's a segment that Gordon's dying to bring back that's never coming back. There's all sorts of segments that we're not bringing back, and there's mm-hmm. like my whole like maniacal slogan was use every second and I was like crazy about it. I think it would be classified as abuse now. Mm-hmm. Well, good well, idea. Let's bring, like bring the discussion full circle, getting back to what you said about not involving lawyers. We probably would uh, run into that right. if we started recycling right. that old stuff. Correct. And you know, when you threw one of those plastic carts as hard as you could against the wall. They shattered beautifully. <laughs> David, oh, you... I could tell you a story about when John Lund, I think, was behind the glass, wasn't he? Uh, it was Michael Yount. Was it Michael I think it was Michael I think it was Michael Yount, who's still in town, and I still think is just one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life, and every time I see him, I'm a little embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> David, thank you. Look forward to an hour next week. Seriously. All right. See you guys. See you, buddy. See you. The great David Locke with us here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Way over. We'll have our drops of the day coming up next. Stay tuned. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.